Hey there, it's Father Roderick, and it is time for another show. We've got lots of things to talk about. I want to share with you my first experiences with the Apple TV, and I'll talk about some of my favorite shows on Apple TV+. Plus. We'll also talk about God Children and why it is important to stop being nice. How can I stop being nice? When all of you are always so nice and so kind to me, I want to thank again those of you that support me with your micro donations on patreon.com slash fatherroderick. And also the fact that that Patreon community is such a source of inspiration and and support. Um, if you become a patron, you get access to the Discord server, which is kind of our community place where we gather and share jokes and recipes and and prayer intentions and so much more. It's also where I get a lot of feedback on what I do and ideas for what I may do in the future. If you become a patron, you also get uh, access to my weekly extra show, my extra podcast called Father Roderick to the Max. And for those of you that are supporting me on the $5 tier or higher, you will get more bonus content. Uh, You will get uh, regular episodes um, that consist of of reviews of movies or commentary on TV shows. Currently, I'm recording um, a, a series of commentaries on Loki, the new Marvel show on Disney+. Plus, It's a lot of fun to talk about. And those are spoiler-filled, something I can't really do on this show because not everyone has always seen everything that I talk about, so I try to keep it spoiler-free. But for that bonus content, that's where I can really go in-depth in my analysis uh, and my thoughts about those episodes. So if you are interested in that, make sure to check out the $5 tier uh, on Patreon. And of course, all of you that are listening to this, that are sharing your time with me, thank you so much for uh, for that support, for your interest, and for your encouragements. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world currently in the final stage of uh, TV production. I have one more episode to film tomorrow, and then there's another one, I think, about two weeks from now. Um, still trying to arrange things. Uh, but but I've been really, really uh, working hard and, and producing these TV episodes in batch, which is a new experience for me, but I'm super happy with the, with the results. I've, I've met so many fascinating people. Just the other day I was in, in Zealand. We, we actually have the old Zealand. <laughs> it's not the new Zealand, but it's the old Zealand. And that's, I guess, where the immigrants from New Zealand came from originally. Uh, which is kind of a, a Protestant area right now or a Protestant part of the Netherlands. But there are still these patches of Catholic uh, life. And uh, there was this parish um, where uh, the the parish attendance was diminishing. But instead of, uh, of, of despair, it encouraged them to be even more creative. And so they figured, well, if people don't come to church, we'll bring the church to them. And they built a mobile chapel, a mobile chapel that they can load onto a car or a truck, and they can basically put it anywhere they want. And so I, I 
filmed the first, the premiere uh, of that chapel, uh, which was taking place during uh, during a, a biking event where people would just go on their bike and, and explore the beautiful nature there. And then in the middle of nowhere, they put that chapel and people could light a candle and, and say a prayer and even write down a prayer intention that they would then bring to the church to pray for all those passers-by uh, during Mass in the, in the weekend. It was so wonderful. And I was stunned to see that almost everyone who saw that chapel also went there to light a candle. Had some wonderful conversations there. And I was so encouraged to see um, how how Catholics in my country are just rethinking the situation instead of just being bothered by everything they lose. Instead, they're looking at the opportunities and how can we, what can we do in this current situation? How can we think creatively? And, and this was just a wonderful example. And I've, I've witnessed so many encouraging stories lately. Um, it was a joy to do. I'm also pretty much exhausted now because those days are long. Uh, sometimes I have to travel several hours before I get there. And then, of course, filming itself is a very creative endeavor. I mean, recording a podcast is just talking for an hour. But um, for one episode, which is only 25 minutes long, is like half the time of a podcast, I spent more than an entire day, sometimes even 10 hours filming and interviewing. Um, it's it's super uh, intense, but it's also very gratifying, especially if you come home with beautiful footage and good interviews. It was so much fun. I'll maybe talk a little bit more about uh, some of the people that I met and stories that I witnessed in Father Roderick to the Max. Here in um, in in Wageningen, where I'm still uh, staying in a loft in the attic of Father Henry's rectory, <laughs> I am uh, I'm kind of used to the situation now. It's far from ideal. Uh, most of my equipment is still in boxes in uh, in the other town of Benicom, where the rectory is current, currently being renovated. But fortunately, the renovation is making good progress. It's still much slower than I initially anticipated, but the upper floor is almost completely done. I now have a bathroom, which is really wonderful. There is a new toilet, um, and I've got three smaller rooms and one big working space where I'll have my desk and my computer and a big space for my VR. <laughs> That's something I'm, I'm looking forward to so much is to have this big rectangular room where I can just walk around with my headset without bumping into anything. Um, so I still need to uh, have some of the electricity done and some of the light fixtures have to be done. But then we're, we're, uh, the, the upper floor is going to be ready and then we're going to install the kitchen. This morning, I woke up super early. I think it was before 7 o'clock in the morning and I took the bike, bike without breakfast, without coffee to be there in time for a moving company that would help me to move a huge safe a parish safe that is about a meter and 83 centimeters tall and it weighed for without the door we, we, we removed the big steel door that was uh, uh, you know first closing then the entire thing um, we removed that and then the final weight was still 450 kilograms 
which is, I'm going to tell you in pounds. And let me type that in real quick in Google. That is almost a thousand pounds. And that's without the door. And so there was no way. It was first part of the house. It was in the center of the big living room. And they combined it with a chimney and, and, and created an entire enclosure around it with bricks. And it was, well, it was humongous. And it was very much in the way. And it was super ugly. And so I, I, I pleaded <laughs> with, with everything I had to get permission to remove it. And so we, we took out the wall. We took out the chimney. But what remained was this huge safe that was so heavy that we couldn't move it. And initially I was thinking of maybe renting um, uh, like a, a fork truck or something like that. Something mechanical because it was so heavy. Because, of course, you, you don't want to throw that away. It's a safe that has always been useful to store, for instance, the baptismal records, which every parish needs to keep and also needs to keep locked in a safe, potentially or possibly. Um, so we wanted to move this to uh, the spaces of the church that are still in use by the parish, but no one could carry this, not even with several people. So ultimately, I ended up Googling, how do you move a safe? And that's when I found this moving company here in Wageningen, where town where I currently live. And apparently, according to their website, they had experience with the safe. So I called them up and I said, you know, can you help me with that? Oh, sure, no problem. We'll send someone over uh, to to look at the situation and then we'll, we'll send you a proposal, which they did last week. And said, oh, we're just going to send four... Four man, that'll probably be enough, and they'll figure it out. We have done this before, and actually, they enjoy doing this stuff. And it's going to cost you about two hundred and fifty bucks. I was like, "Wow, that's not much for four people that are going to do something that no one else can do." <laughs> yeah, let's let's do this. And so they arrived this morning, and I was shocked at first because the two guys that first entered the rectory, they were like half my age. And they were very thin, and they didn't, didn't look. They looked like kids from school. I was like, "How on earth are you guys going to move this safe?" And ultimately, there was there were two other big guys arriving. You know that did all the heavy lifting, and it turned out the other two were just there, basically also to help, but also to uh, kind of prepare the, the way for the bigger guys. <laughs> and then they finally just lowered the safe on its side put it on two small, what you call it? Um, I'm actually not sure what to call them. They have like four wheels and it's just a little platform, uh, but super solid, of course, um, because they needed to carry all that weight. And then they they moved it like a coffin almost to to the spaces of the, uh, of the parish. And then they, uh, they put it upright and... Then they got the door, which they lifted with the four people. That's how heavy it was. I think the door itself must have weighed all, already 150 kilos, uh, which is, let me calculate this. This is so handy, 300, 330 pounds. So it's not something I would do by myself. And they even helped reinstalling the door. And and that's that was it. And I was... I was rid of that safe. <laughs> I was so happy that it was finally gone. Just a few weeks ago, I never thought I'd get rid of that 
wall or that safe or that chimney for that matter. And now it's gone and the walls and the ceiling have already been prepared. And and I have this big living room, which is so great for, I can finally have uh, like a, a place where I can receive my family, my friends, and I can have more than four guests. And the same is true for the dining table. Uh, before, when when the safe was still there and the chimney was there, I could just have a table with six people max. Now I can put a much bigger table. I can have 10 or 12 people um, in, in, in my house as guests. And wow, those are just things I've never had before. So I'm super happy. And... Unfortunately, a lot of the other work is currently uh, on, on, on hold because the walls have been repaired, but it still needs to dry. And it's been very wet. We've got one of those Dutch summers this day, uh, this year. Um, two years ago, we had a blazingly hot summer. It was very much comparable to what's happening now in North America and Canada. Um, but apparently this year, um, those those currents of uh you know winds or whatever uh they are in a different part of the world so we have a regular dutch summer where it's raining all the time <laughs> so because the the air is so humid the walls don't dry and if the walls don't dry we cannot uh attach anything to them and there's another hold up and that's the electrician who is super busy as well but he first needs to finish the walls before we can then close the walls and then that has to dry because in two weeks from now it's like all cascading dominoes in a certain way two weeks from now we get someone who is going to uh help us with the wallpaper which is again it's a big house it's not something of course you can do that with volunteers but i prefer to have a professional do it because it it can do it better and faster but that person called me and said you you have to make sure that the walls are dry otherwise i cannot work so now i'm like stressed out are we going to be able to close those walls in time and can it dry in time for when we have to apply the wallpaper and, and it's been like this for months now like everything is waiting for everything uh we need to have new heats what is it heat sinks or the, um like the how would you call those? Radi- radiators? Is that a radiator? Um, anyway, the things that you put on the walls to heat up your house. I want to know now. Golly, I always struggle with <laughs> like uh, Google Translate. And then I'm just going to put in for warming. For warming and it, that heating. Yeah, right. For warming. For, uh, for warming element. Heating heating element? That sounds wrong in English. Heating element? Let me look at the pictures. No, it's not a heating element. I think it's a radiator. I'm not sure. Radiator. That always makes me think of cars. Radi- yeah, it's a radiator. Right? Oh, well. Anyway, so we had a company give us a quote. And it was so expensive. It was like a thousand bucks per radiator. That's insane. But all the other companies are complaining that they have so much work that they can't even give us a quote. And that's probably because that, the reason that that one company gave us such a an, an expensive quote, 
basically they can ask anything they want. So uh, that's another concern. It's like, okay, well, how are we going to find something that is affordable? And and then the floors. I got to make sure that I choose my floors and order them. But those also have a waiting time. And uh, apparently even the glue is currently out of stock everywhere in the country. Not just here, but everywhere. Because during Corona times, people were starting to renovate all over the place. And whereas factories were shutting down because of corona. And so there's this huge lack of components. And I think this is also happening in other industries as well. Even Apple is currently struggling with lack of computer chips and, and whatnot just because of, of the kind of the fallout of, of the corona situation. And that may be one of the reasons that we haven't seen any upgrades to their MacBook Pros or maybe it's just a shortage of uh, of components. So, yeah, these are complicated times for, for home renovation. That's definitely uh, certain. However, I'm still, you know, I can work. I have my computer here. I can podcast. I can film. I can prepare uh, a TV episode. So it's not that I can't do anything. It's just that I, I sometimes just miss my lazy chair where I can sit and read a book. I just have my desk chair which is not very comfortable or if I want to read a book I have to lay on the bed but then I'm usually gone within a second because I'm every day I'm so tired so yeah still looking forward to having my own home but I'd rather wait a little longer so that the home is completely finished and is exactly the way I want it to be than you know rushing things and then having something half-baked that will need further renovations for the, the years to come. I, I'm done renovating. <laughs> I do not like movies. They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So um, a couple of years ago, I bought myself a 4K TV, and um, I, I was using it mainly in conjunction with the Chromecast. I still had an old HD Chromecast and my Xbox, not the newest Xbox, but the previous generation that I use as a as a Blu-ray player, uh, and, and it's great for that. But... Well, the Xbox technically is is 4K, so that works. Um, but the the Chromecast is HD, and when I was trying to stream anything, even even if you try to stream Netflix and stuff, um, it's it, the quality is very um, uneven. Let's put it that way. Disney has been really good. Disney, a lot of the Disney stuff, Star Wars, for instance, is in 4K, and it's pretty. Uh, high bit rate so the quality is a lot better than some of the uh, 4k stuff on on netflix even i'm not even sure if i have an, an a 4k netflix subscription now that i think of it so anyway that's a story that actually has nothing to do with my main topic and that is the apple tv um two weeks ago i saw a a, um, a deal for the apple tv 4k they're apparently two models one is just hd and the other one is 4k um, and it was more than 30% off, which is very, very rare with, uh, with Apple 
stuff. It's usually only when there's a newer version that the older ones are going to be discounted. But this was a brand new 4K Apple TV. Plus, I noticed in the description that it still came with a one-year Apple TV Plus subscription for free, like a trial period of a year. Apple, of course, when it launched Apple TV Plus, they wanted to make sure that they got a lot of traction and that's very hard to convince people that already have maybe Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu in the US, um, Netflix, Disney Plus to subscribe to yet another monthly uh, service, especially because Apple, of course, has just a fraction of the amount of series and, and movies that you see on all these other platforms. So it was a hard sell. It was a hard sell, even though Apple did hire really, really famous directors. Even Steven Spielberg is, is creating something for, for Apple Plus, um, but or Apple TV Plus. But the, the total amount of, of series and episodes is very, very small. Um, so they needed to do something to take a dent out of that market, and their solution was, well, we'll just give it away for free if you buy a new uh, Apple device. And a lot of people were were going to upgrade their Apple phone anyway, or their iPhone, or buy an an iPad. Although not many people buy an iPad, I don't think it came with the Apple Watch, but I may be wrong. Anyway, I thought actually that I still would have that year of Apple TV because I recently, well, a while ago, a couple of months ago, I bought myself an iPad, a twelve point nine. 12.6. Anyway, a big iPad. And I still, I, I've never regretted it. I remember talking with uh, Cliff Ravenscraft about that, and he said, oh, just don't buy a Samsung, uh, don't buy an Android tablet. And I was like, but they're so cool, and they're really cheap, and, and, and they're almost the same size and the same specs as Apple. And he said, well, yes, but after two years, you won't get any updates updates anymore whereas apple they will continue to update that machine for years to come so it's a much safer uh, investment than than android stuff and of of course he was right he was right and um plus it's it's such a it's, it's such a good i'm used to android because i have it on my phone and i like it because it's so you can mod it you can install you can do so many things with it it's so much more, I don't know, free compared to Apple. Uh, but it also has downsides. It's got lots more issues. There's lots more malware, even though Apple also has its share of malware. Um, but everything just works. Plus, it's got really, really good, uh, I don't know, just everything is so smooth and works so well. I've got the Apple Pencil, and it's just wonderful. Anyway. The thing is, I bought it refurbished, and apparently the person who owned it before me, even though it was sold as almost, well, brand new, it was sec wasn't secondhand, it was refurbished, um, it had already been registered with Apple. And so when I registered it or linked it to my account, I didn't get the, the, the year of Apple TV, which was so disappointing back then. And I was looking with envy to some people that were watching, especially the um for all mankind you know the series by ronald d moore which talks about an alternate timeline where um i think the russians landed on the moon first and i saw a few episodes of that 
uh, because I you could watch the first episode for any Apple TV series uh, as a trial thing, and it was so good, and I loved it so much, and I was craving new Ronald D. Moore content because I I'm just a huge fan of what he does, and um, but I was like yeah, but I'm not gonna buy another device just for that until I saw that Apple TV deal. I was like whoa, that is just what did I pay for it? 130 bucks or something like that. Um, if you if you add up, uh, you know, five bucks a month for Apple TV Plus, that's already 60 bucks. Subtract that from the total amount, then, you know, I it's, it's really not expensive. Plus, it's, you know, it's 4K, so it is able to stream everything 4K, and it's Apple, and, you know, it, it, it I can mirror my... My, my Apple devices to the screen, it's got a lot of advantages. Of course, I was rationalizing the purchase, but but that one came, and I, right in time, I was able to activate that one-year subscription to Apple TV because two days later, Apple reduced the total amount of time that you get for free to only three months. So I still am one of the lucky people that have a year of Apple TV+. And so... I asked around on the Discord server, what should I watch? And to my surprise, not everyone was saying, oh, you got to watch the science fiction series by Ronald D. Moore. A lot of people said, you have to watch Tad Lasso. I was like, Tad Lasso? What is that? And uh, I looked up uh, the the page or on Apple TV, which, by the way, is kind of an interesting user interface. I, I love what they did. You, you kind of they mix up the content from Apple TV and then the stuff from Disney and that's it I think and unfortunately they didn't get access to the API of Netflix nor Prime I think so I can I still have to launch a separate app to watch my Netflix content but but I love what Apple tried to do at least with their interface, it's really, really attractive. And I discovered some new stuff on, on, on Disney that I did not discover using the, the regular Disney app. So anyway, it looks great. And uh, so I, 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 I went to the page for, uh, for um, Tad Lasso, and, and I thought I saw it was about soccer and about some coach. And the coach was training a, a, a soccer team. And I was like, why would people recommend that to me? I don't like soccer. And it didn't really, it didn't appeal to me at all. And then I started watching. And one day later, I had binge watched the entire first season. And oh my goodness, it was absolutely fantastic. Oi, mate, this is uh, so... Let me just play the sound of the trailer for you. It is so good. Oi, mate, there's you. I believe it is. Wicked. You coaching football. You are a legend for doing something so stupid. I mean, it's mental. They're going to murder you. This is a bit of news from the other side of the Atlantic. AFC Richmond announced the hiring of their new manager, American football coach Ted Lasso. You're an American who's now in charge of a football club despite possessing very little knowledge of the game. Oh! I know that AFC Richmond is going to give you everything they got, win or lose. Or tie. Right, y'all do ties here. Yeah, I don't like 
see that? He must be from England, yeah. Wales. Is that another country? Yes and no. How many countries are in this country? Four. Like it or not, Richmond are changing the way we do things. And from now on, that way is the lasso way. Hey, look, this car's got an invisible steering wheel. <laughs> what you're doing is irresponsible. This club actually means something to this town. You don't think I see that every day out there on the streets? <laughs> are you kidding me? I think that's what it's all about. Embracing change. Changing! Being brave. Your decision to bench Jamie was a masterstroke. I don't think we're allowed to talk like that at work anymore. You got no fear of the other dog. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. I always figured that tea was just going to taste like hot brown water. And you know what? I was right. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> no, thank you. Welcome to England. It is so good. You know what I like about this series? It, it's heartwarming. All these these different characters are are funny. They uh, they all have wonderful character arcs. The, everyone is changing, and and that's just in the first season. Uh, but they're all changing for the better, at least most of them. And there are some characters that at first you really dislike and they have maybe very evil plans and then ultimately the charm of this Tat Lasso, this guy from, from the US who is a fish out of water in, in the UK, uh, he all wins them over with his uh, just his genuine warm-heartedness and it's such a a great series for the time that we currently live in where everybody is kind of on edge and there's so much um controversy and and polarization in the world and this feels like a warm bath this really makes you believe in humanity again um there is there is some language in the series and it's well you know it's it's not public tv so <laughs> maybe some of the words even though well you know for 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 an, a european series it, there's nothing to it but i guess for more sensitive american ears there may be some language and some situations in this series that uh, some people may uh, have issue with although some of the words you may first have to look them up because it's not language you use in the <laughs> in the u.s don't look it up. Don't don't look those words up. But anyway, you, it's it's oh wow, what a great series this is. I was totally hooked, and every episode gave me a huge smile on my face, and that barely ever happens. I've read so many series that I love to watch, but this one, every time I saw an episode, I felt so warm and so happy, and golly. It's it's an amazing series. Tatla, so thank you to all of you that have recommended that series to me. I can't get enough of it. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at The Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? 
And today I want to uh, answer, try to answer a question that was asked to me in one of the Discord uh, sections that is dedicated to those questions. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. I want to do this a little bit uh, more frequently in the future. Um, if there are patrons that have faith-related questions, it doesn't really matter what domain, um, please post them in the question or the Q. Well, Q&A, it's mostly Q section of, of the Discord server. Um, and then I'll try to give you the A here on the show. This question was about God children and God parents. And the question was formulated like this. Are you responsible for godchildren in a legal sense when the parents are still alive? I know that it is a spiritual responsibility, but I never thought this was a legal responsibility in any country. Can you explain this tradition and what is your view on the situation? Well, it may very well be that there are cultural differences and that it may be in some countries or some cultures um, there may be ramifications for, you know, being a godfather or a godmother and having grand uh, godchildren to also take care of those children in case anything happens to the, to the parents. But this is certainly not required by canon law. Um, the godparents are very important, but they are, uh, they are important when it comes to uh, the faith education uh, of of the person that is baptized. In fact, in the Code of Canon Law, uh, in this starts if you want to look it up um, in Canon uh, eight hundred seventy two, the godparents are called sponsors, and uh, this is how the Code of Canon Law puts it: insofar as possible. A person to be baptized is to be given a sponsor who assists an adult in Christian initiation or together with the parents presents an infant for baptism. So doesn't matter the age of the person who is going to be baptized, if it's a child or uh, an adult, uh, canon law requires a sponsor. The sponsor also helps the baptized person to lead a Christian life in keeping with baptism and to fulfill faithfully the obligations inherent in it. So the sponsor both presents someone for baptism and helps that person to live the life that baptism gives you or, or asks you to live. Um, and in certain in certain way, if you choose to be baptized, that is the life that you actually choose. And in the case of an infant, of course, it's the parents that choose it for their child. And what I like about this concept is that from the get-go, the moment you enter the church, or even before you enter the church, it is made clear that the church is a community, that it's a family. It's not just an individual relationship between you and Jesus. Uh, this is something you hear a lot in certain Protestant circles, you know. Oh, but what about your personal relationship with Christ? And do you have a personal relationship with Christ? And it's like, sure, that is part of the deal, but it's not everything. That is not the definition of becoming a member of the church. Becoming a member of the church means you become 
a member of a family that is already there before you. And that brings you in, just like the apostles would bring in people, literally. They would go to the marketplaces. They would go visit villages and, and go to the sick and then bring them to the community and, and accompany them to show that what Christian life is all about is friendship. It's friendship with God. It's friendship with Christ. But you can never have a friendship with Christ without a friendship with the people that surround you because they are brothers and sisters. And so I love that the whole concept of sponsorship for baptism makes this tangible, and that is why it is required. Now, sometimes parents will present their child, for instance, for baptism, and they will say, well, we couldn't find a proper sponsor. But in that case, can a law has a solution, but that solution still uh, objectively uh, gives that person, or that child, a sponsor. But in that case, it can be the pastor himself. So, uh, and, and then you have to make a note of that. So that actually happened to me uh, in my first parish where I baptized hundreds of children. Um, and in some cases, rare, but it did, it did sometimes occur. People said, well, you know, nobody in my, our family is a Christian. We are the only baptized people here, so we don't have anyone. We don't have any friends that are Catholic or Christian, so what do we do now? And I said, well, you know what? I can fulfill that role canonically, but don't ask me to buy these kids presents. You'll have to take care of that. So that is the kind of the cultural aspect, of course, of the sponsorship is that you give some extra attention to your godchildren, which kind of depends on the situation, of course. And uh, But there are no rules or stipulations about that at all in canon law. But you are supposed to lead a life that can serve as an example for the person that is baptized. And that also is, I think, very beautiful about this concept is that you don't have to figure it out all by yourself. If you want to know what God asks you to do, just look at other followers of Christ. Look at what they do. Emulate that. Try to follow their example. This is very much also why in the Catholic Church we have that veneration for saints. They're in a certain way also uh, examples that show you that it is feasible. And, and, and they show it with all their humanity, including with their sins and mistakes and, and goof-ups. But they still, the saints, that is, show us that it is possible in this life to live according to God's will. And godparents are uh, uh, supposed to, to do that themselves. That is why canon law requires um, that... that a person who will take on the function of a sponsor uh, is baptized. Um, so you and and that that person has completed the sixteenth year of age. So children cannot be a sponsor of someone else because you are supposed to be an adult and to have a certain seniority, especially when it comes to children, um, to. Sh well, someone who is still developing age-wise um, cannot show the full extent of what it means to be Christian. So that is why the Code of Canon Law asks sponsors to, to be 16 year 
or older, which for canon law is kind of the, the legal age, you could say. Um, of course, there are also exceptions possible if a diocesan bishop uh, uh, thinks it's necessary or, or uh, if there is an exception given by the pastor or minister. Uh, but that is rare. So the sponsor, according to the Code of Canon Law, has to be a Catholic who has been confirmed, not just baptized, but also confirmed. Again, it's, this is about the fullness of, of Christian life that you're supposed to show to the one who's going to be baptized and has already received the Most Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist. So you also have to have had your first communion and who leads a life of faith in keeping with the function to be taken on. That is by far the hardest requirement because oftentimes parents will choose sponsors that they're friends with, but they won't really make a selection based on whether they go to church or not. Unfortunately, because... uh, it is more than just a sign of, hey, gosh, we like you guys very much. Would you be? Uh, it's not just an honor. This is a function. The Code of Canon Law calls it a function. It means you have to function as a Christian. You have to do something for it. Otherwise, you kind of break the concept, right? Um, also, also, you cannot be bound by any canonical penalty, uh, obviously because that canonical penalty so it means you that you have incurred uh, an, uh, you've, you've done something wrong you've done something against what the church prescribes uh, then of course that would also disqualify you uh, as a an example of, of Christian life um, and you cannot be the father or the mother of the one to be baptized because this is specifically meant to symbolize the greater community of the church whereas the parents, form like the nucleus, you could say, of Christian life. They are the, the core church, you could say. Um, so this, again, does not stipulate anything about legal responsibility. Um, a, there is one a- extra stipulation here. A baptized person who belongs to a non-Catholic ecclesial community is not to participate except together with a Catholic sponsor and then only as a witness of the, of the baptism. So someone who is Protestant has been baptized but has not received confirmation in the Catholic Church cannot be the sole sponsor. In fact, cannot truly be a sponsor but can be a witness. So in this case, for instance, if you have uh, a couple and one of the couple is a Catholic and the other one is a Protestant, um, then they both can be witnesses, but only one will function as the official sponsor of the child. Also, uh, the there can only be one male sponsor or one female sponsor or one of each. Uh, this also uh, uh, is um, because of the, the exemplary function function or role of the of the God parents um so i've had a situation or actually several times that a homosexual couple would would ask to be sponsors and then um you could only admit one to be the formal sponsor uh, and this of course is because of the the the, the way the catholic church looks at uh at relationships and um, so and that's sometimes a little bit difficult to explain especially if, if both uh, members of that couple are, you know, try to live a faithful life. 
but that's where canon law has to kind of still be formal also as well as pastoral. Um, so I hope that clears it up. I, as a child, I was always a little bit nervous about this whole godparents thing because nobody explained it to me. And my uh, godfather was a brother of my father, so an uncle, and he was very strict with his children. And my godmother was actually my mother's sister, so the who lived in the United States. So I was so afraid that if my parents would get an accident or whatever, that I would end up living with my uncle. Whereas I still hope that if that were to happen, and of course I prayed that it would never happen, I, I was still hoping that then I could move to San Francisco and, and live in the United States. <laughs> None of that happened. And, you know, that's a good thing. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? So I read this book, or actually I listened to the audiobook version of this, written by a French author, or actually it's a French language author. He's actually from Belgium, called Thomas Dansembourg. Try to say that with an English accent. Thomas Dansembourg. Dansembourg. Bon, bon, très bien. <laughs> Thomas Dansembourg. It's probably something like that. Oh my gosh. Um, anyway, the book is called Being Genuine, Stop Being Nice, Start Being Real. So being genuine, this is the English title. Uh, I'm not sure what it's uh, what the original French title is, but most of you will read it in English anyway. So being genuine, stop being nice, start being real. This is a book that is really impactful. I, I learned so much about from this book uh, when it comes to communicating um, your reaction to certain situations or to the way people treat you. I've had a pretty rough time, as you know. I, uh, this past year is not a year I'd like to do again. And I've been hurt by a number of people around me. And, of course, when, when people hurt you, your first initial reaction is to lash out at them. And, it, and if you don't dare to do that in front of them, you'll do it by basically doing that behind their backs. And there was a lot of aggression, a lot of hurt that, that fostered, uh, 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 yeah, ag aggression. I don't know how to say it. Violence, maybe, even in the way I, I was reacting. And this uh, book is all about finding another way to react which is actually much more beneficial for the situation, for yourself, and for the person that you want to give feedback to. And I was at first a little bit worried. This, this is an older book. I think it's been written more than 10 years ago. Um, and, and on the back of the French version, it said something about nonviolent communication. It all sounded a bit wishy-washy and a bit, you know, new agey. I was like, hmm... You know, like peaceful communication. It's like, oh, come on. I'm trying to become a little bit more assertive here. <laughs> I don't need all that, you know, soft talk. Sometimes I just want to say what people do to me. And I, you know, want to be upfront and honest with people. I've been trying to please people for all my life. And it's not often had good results. So is this the book for me? 
But then I started to discover what the book actually ultimately is is about. And it is about, well, what it says, to be genuine. Being nice, that's what I tried to be all my life, to be nice, even in situations where people took advantage of that, where I felt like I wasn't being done justice and it and I got hurt. But I was raised to always try to be nice, try to understand the other person, try to find mitigating situation or you know, reasons why someone would be this or that way. And and being nice, I think, has done a lot of harm in my life because I've often felt like I wasn't being genuine. I was just trying to be nice just to keep the peace, but I did it at my own detriment. And ultimately, it didn't solve the situation because the bullies would still be bullies and people that took advantage of me continue to take advantage of me. And, you know, being nice only caused more hurt and yet at the same time i always thought that the opposite of being nice was being aggressive and being maybe even violent sometimes and and to lash out and that didn't fit me either you know i i don't want to be always angry i don't want to be mad at people i don't want to hurt people because they hurt me that doesn't seem to be very evangelical this book explains how being genuine in, uh, means that you, you have to stop being just nice. It doesn't mean you can't be nice, but you have to stop always trying to be nice and instead try to be real. Try to acknowledge what you feel. And the first part of the book is all about how much we have been disconnected by our culture and by the way we were raised to be disconnected from our feelings and how difficult it is for some people to, descri to describe what they feel. It's very primary. We never talk about our feelings, especially, uh, you know, uh, maybe the, the male part of, the, of, of society. That, of course, is culturally defined probably and it may shift, but all in all, I think that boys were supposed to be brave. You know, you, you weren't supposed to 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 feel hurt you weren't supposed to cry you know it was all like stop crying real boys don't cry that kind of nonsense of course nonsense um but but there is this big disconnect between people and their feelings and that is why if you don't if you're unable to acknowledge how you truly feel and what's a situation or a person has done to you then the emotion will still try to find a way out and will oftentimes translate in, 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 into violence. If, if you are unable to talk about how you feel, then oftentimes you be, look, violence is all, almost always, or aggression, or verbal aggression, is almost always a sign of powerlessness, or the feeling of powerlessness. And it's a lack of control. But control comes from being able to formulate what's happening and to express that to other people in a non-violent way, in a way that can maybe lead to a solution of the problem. So this whole book, according to the description, is ideas and advice on how to identify feelings and needs. This is not just feelings, but also needs. That's another part of the, of the introduction. Is like, 
Do we even know what we truly need? Do we even think of what we truly need? We often feel that something is lacking in a relationship or in a work situation. But what is it that we truly need? And do we ever share those needs? Oftentimes in relationships, things will break because the, the, the couple or the, the members of that relationship are unable to tell the other person what he or she truly needs. So it's all about learning how to identify and describe those feelings and needs without blaming others. That is a key concept in this book. Uh, being able to describe your feelings and needs correctly means that you stop blaming others. Because blaming others does not solve anything. It doesn't help you. What does help you is to acknowledge what you truly feel, what you truly need, and then to be honest when you express that uh, and, and to be respectful of the other person. Um, the book also teaches you to face conflict with ease. It, it, it has a myriad of examples on how you can approach conflict. And it will f usually first describe how most people deal with conflict, and it's not pretty. And then it, 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 it shows you another way to do that. And then ultimately, ideally, you can find balance by sharing basic needs and, to by, and by finding, uh, by helping the other person to understand what you truly need. So the, the, there is this four-step process in this, in this uh, acknowledgement and, and becoming real. And it first starts with observation. Uh, so it requires your intellect. You know, it's, it's look at yourself, take some time to observe what you feel or what you need. And to be objective. Again, this, this is something you also learn in those, um, uh, what you call it, these exercises I had to do for COVID when I had long COVID. Uh it's like the awareness. Oh, what was the name of that again? Oh, well, I'm so bad with names. Anyway, is this like you, you close your eyes and you just try to truly feel, to feel your toes, your knees, without judging, even feel the unrest in your mind. This is also something you can do in meditation. Some people will blame themselves for being distracted during prayer, for instance. Whereas... A lot of spiritual teachers will tell you, well, it's all about acknowledging that you are distracted, but don't judge yourself. But just acknowledge that this is happening and bring yourself back to a state of prayer and do that again. But, but try to stop judging yourself. Because if you judge yourself, you're also blocking something, and God does not judge you if you don't judge. So this is very much, uh, and it's very hard because we're so used to judging, blaming ourselves, blaming other people's. But this is all, just look at yourself. What's truly going on? Try to get a grip on that. What is truly going on? And don't judge it. Just acknowledge it. This is just the reality of the situation. Um, then the second step is feelings. Acknowledge your feelings. So observe what's going on. What happened? in this conversation, in this row, in this fight that I had? What, what truly happened? Let me first observe what happened, and then how did that situation make me feel? 
Again, this is not about the other. This is about you. What feeling did it cause? And, and, and that is also very hard because we don't take time to feel. We don't allow ourselves to feel. Sometimes we're afraid of our feelings. But it's part of acknowledging who you are. And how can you share what someone did to you if you can't even acknowledge what, what you feel? And then the third step is acknowledge your needs or your values. Be real about what is it I truly need. And of course, as you know, there's a difference between needs and wants. <laughs> but what do you need? And can you express that without blaming the other person? Can you express that in a way that the other person understands what you truly need? Which then ultimately can lead you to a request, which is a concrete negotiable action. I propose or I, I would request that we do this. Does that work for you? <laughs> and then, of course, the request has to be based on your needs and has to acknowledge how you feel about the situation. And so it's a proposal to improve the situation. But you take out the blame. You take out the aggression. And that disarms the other person because we know this from experience. The moment you start to blame, the moment you start to lash out, the other person will put up walls. And that's usually the end of the negotiation. And so this book, that's written really eye-opening because almost any situation can be broken down in those four steps, in these four phases, you could say, of acknowledging, of, of becoming real and being real and, and being, uh, being honest about what's going on without, without shutting the door and without causing the other person to shut the door. This is why it's been really, really helpful. And, uh, of course, when I was listening to the book, I was going through all these situations from the past year. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I goofed up so much. Well, let's not judge myself. I Yes, I probably didn't do what I should have done to improve the situation, but... I'm, like in retrospect, I'm trying to formulate well, how did this, what truly happened objectively? How did it make me feel? That is still very personal. And then what, do, what did I actually need? And so why did I feel? Well, it's pro probably because I, it didn't meet my needs, what I needed, or my values. And that's something I was very aware of, especially when it came to the parish situation. You know, I have a number of very fundamental values that I need to honor in my life, and I cannot work with people that don't respect those values are, or are acting on opposite values, values that I don't share. That becomes an objective criterion to say, well, maybe it's good to end the situation. And then, you know, you can always request that people respect your needs and your values if you have also you show also respect for their values and their needs. So it it, it takes out the it takes out the, the the violence and the aggression and and it <laughs> the book is pretty convincing in showing how much that can improve your way of dealing with stuff that happens. Let's put it that way. I was going to use another S word, but let's not. Boop, boop. <laughs>
So now the Chinese have also landed on Mars. It's unbelievable. They also recorded audio. They also show us footage of a rover driving around on Mars. This is so exciting. And on the meantime, in a different part of on Mars, the helicopter has made another flight. And apparently, I was wrong about this helicopter. It's it has the it, it can fly much more than I thought. I thought it was just going to be four or five flights, and then it's it's over forever. But apparently not. It's all very very cool. I'd love to hear more about uh, that that sister planet of ours that is so similar and yet so different. Um. They've been doing quite a bit of research to prepare, of course, for a potential manned flight to Mars. And uh, in order to figure out what a long-term trip to, to another planet would do to our bodies and maybe also to our psyche, they've been doing lots of experiments, most recently on squids. They actually send squids to space. I, th- I always thought it was going to be pigs in space, but no. It's squids in space. <laughs> and apparently there's something going that makes squids stand out and a bit similar to how we function is that there is this symbiosis between the organism, between the squid and bacteria and all these other micro creatures that depend on the squid and, and collaborate with the squid. And that apparently that is also... In the case with human beings, we, we, we don't live in a vacuum. We depend on so many other bacterial processes that happen. If you just look at your intestines, you know, we wouldn't be able to digest anything without the help of bacteria. And there is this, this constant collaboration. And apparently, uh, weightlessness, a prolonged t- uh, time or duration in, in, in space, can modify and potentially even hurt that symbiosis which then would make us much more susceptible to illness and all sorts of ailments and so they're currently looking at what weightlessness and uh, time and space is doing to these squids in order to to prepare for what could happen to to human beings when we send them to mars they're also openly speculating about maybe having to introduce genetic modification to the human body so that it could withstand the the uh, the effects of of a prolonged journey through space if only radiation for instance there's so much radiation that it it can wreak havoc and we need to know what is going to happen to us before we send people to mars i mean that's just i think a moral obligation you have to make sure that people can be safe um, completely safe, of course, is impossible. Uh, in that respect, I'm kind of baffled by the eagerness of all these millionaires to go to go into space. There's like this triad of 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 uh, um, you know Elon Musk and uh, Bezos and uh, the Virgin guy. They're all they all want to go to space. Okay, and it's just going to be for a few minutes or something like that. It's like why? Why spend so much much money for space tourism? Just use VR. It's much cooler and it's much cheaper. That's what I would do. <laughs> anyway, um, 
yeah, that's it. That's it. Interesting. Of course, there are some ethical considerations. Um, you know, can can you modify a human being genetically just so that person can can travel to Mars? Is that is that something we want to do? Of course, we can do it, but should we? Maybe it's up to the individual astronauts to to decide whether or not to do that. But it's kind of interesting. <laughs> the ramifications of this, you know, what happens to the offspring of those genetically modified people? I don't know. I don't know nothing about that. I, I am not a scientist, um, nor do I know anything about genetics. But these are some questions that we need to answer before we try to, before we start experimenting. At least that, that's what I propose. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. A while ago, I was uh, talking about this leaked version of Windows 11. Well, in the meantime, we've already had a formal presentation of Windows 11, and it is pretty cool. It's it's not a total revolution, but it does change uh, visually a lot of, of the Windows environment. I think it's pretty. I like it a lot. It's more, dare I say, Mac-like. So I like all the glass effects and everything. But what I'm most excited about is the ability to to run Android apps on Windows. And that is cool. It was already possible with a, like a third-party app where you basically run an emulator of a phone and in that emulator or phone or a, a tablet and then you run the programs as if your computer is, uh, is an iPad or, well, not an iPad, but a tablet or a phone. But, of course, that is not integrated at all with the rest of, of Windows. What they showed is much more like uh, an app can just have its own Windows, Windows window. <laughs> and, well, hopefully also there's going to be the ability to cut and, you know, copy and paste between apps and maybe even have more collaboration. The only thing that makes me a little bit, irk, um, how do you say that, wary about this is that apparently... They're going to do this via Amazon. So you will, it's basically sideloading Android programs, which is something you can also do on your Android phone. You can set up an Amazon account and then you can uh, download apps not from the Google store, uh, the Play store, but from the Amazon store. Um, so for Windows uh, to, to, to run Android apps, you have to have an Amazon account. With all the data gathering that Amazon is already doing, I'm not sure if everyone will be uh, will be ready for this or will be wanting to. But it is cool to be able to do that, and I hope that Apple will do the same. They've already implemented a little bit of that with their uh, uh, with their desktop computers, but I hope they're one day going to have like full compatibility that you can run anything you can run on your phone or tablet, also on your desktop computer especially now with the new infrastructure i think apple should be able to to pull that off um but yeah and and it's a free update oh one last thing 
you get this app that you can download from Windows from the Win Windows website, and you can see if your computer can actually upgrade to Windows 11. And I ran this on my big editing computer, which is fairly modern. It's just two years old. And it came with a negative result. You will not be able to upgrade to Windows 11. And I was like, what? This is so new. It turns out I had to modify the BIOS. This is all about encryption and like an extra protection layer against um, uh, like Trojan horses and, 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 and ransomware. Um, but this is something that has been built in uh, to any any mm, logic board of the of the past ten years, I think. But in a lot of situations, also in mine, this is turned off by default. So I had to go into the BIOS, figure out for my particular brand of uh, motherboard how to turn it on, and then I ran the test again, and lo and behold, I will be able to upgrade to Windows 11. Maybe my old computer, my old PC, won't be able to go to Windows 11 because that's a pretty old logic board. But, uh, oh well, you never know. Um, it's cool. I, I, I look forward to, the, to Windows 11. Um, there is one other thing that I want to mention here, and this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Apparently, there is this artificial intelligence-powered app that can... If you take a picture of all your Lego, you just put it on the floor, take a picture, there may be thousands of pieces there, the AI will analyze every single piece and then it will show you the manuals of, of sets, real Lego sets that you can build based on the elements that it has detected. This is the coolest thing ever. There is um, a little video on GameSpot that shows you how it's done, and it is stunning. I I don't think this is sanctioned by Lego, but they should embrace this because it. This is one of the hardest things to do when you have so much Lego, but it's all from older sets, and you have no clue if you still have all the elements to build. You know the the sets that it came with. This app can show you everything you can build with just the pieces that you have. Plus, and of course, you, that's how you can discover maybe newer builds. Maybe they can even apply this to to mocks, you know. They can just, just take a photo of all your Lego and then it shows you what what you can build with it. I just, I just love this idea. It is wonderful and it is another sign of how powerful uh, AI has become over the years. And with that, I think it is time to wrap things up. Uh, for links to everything I talked about, take a look at the website, fatherroderick.com. Look for the show notes of this episode. I hope you have a wonderful week. And for those of you that are patrons, check out your feed for another episode of Father Roderick to the Max. And of course, there's a new review of episode four and five of Loki for the tier of $5 and more also in the same podcast feed. Talk to you later. Have a wonderful week and see you next time.